You are listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review Podcast. We find little nuggets, treasures, valuable pieces of gold in the Joe Rogan Experience Podcast and pass them on to you, perhaps expand a little bit. We are not associated with Joe Rogan in any way. Think of us as the talking dead to Joe's walking dead. You're listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review. What a bizarre thing we've created. Now with your host, Adam Thorne. This might either be the worst podcast or the best one of all time. One, go. Enjoy the show. You are listening to the Joe Rogan Experience Review Podcast. I am your co-host, Todd Heath, and I am with my good friend here, Adam Thorne, today. He's letting me do the intro. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) Good to see you, bro. Big privilege. Big privilege. We're doing ads. We're doing intros. Mm, What a week. We're cheersing some, some whiskey. What are we drinking? We are drinking good old Benchmark Number Eight. It is a fairly inexpensive whiskey that's quite delicious, and they're not a sponsor. I just like it. We like it. I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Me of it. too, buddy. Right. It's yeah. I guess in a way it was like a heavy jujitsu week, but Eddie Bravo didn't talk too much jujitsu, which is good. He didn't talk much jujitsu. He talked a lot about. Some other stuff, though. Well, yeah. He went off the rails. I love that guy. He Not for Eddie. That was, like, really toned down Eddie, honestly. Dude. Like, he's he's just a conspiracy theory guy. That's He loves it. He doesn't believe things. He doesn't trust things. And those people have had a huge bump after COVID, for sure. I mean, if that's not created some mistrust that's got people worked up, I mean, obviously, Eddie wasn't into it. One thing that he said that I thought was interesting is, you know, if it was so bad, like, everyone that trained jiu-jitsu would have died, or a lot of them. Like, you're rubbing yourself against somebody else while trying to submit them. You can't be closer to somebody. And you're all training with each other. And it wasn't like there were mass deaths throughout the jiu-jitsu community. And people of all ages do jiu-jitsu. Yeah, and you're saying this because most jujitsu folks did not take the vax? And no, but it wouldn't have mattered either way, right? I mean, early on, they were training before the vaccine came out. Yeah, you're basically touching each other real close. And we know that even with the vaccine, you can still transmit it to other people and catch it. So, you know, it's... The PCR test thing that they chatted about early on and went, they kind of went on and on about it, but changing those um, 40 cycles to 20 cycles, it was a bit confusing, but... I think it was to do with the sensitivity of the test. Right. So, right. so just everyone was, like, it was popping up positive on way more tests than it should have, mm-hmm. right? According to the guy who created the PCR test, right? Yeah. Look, well, look. False negatives. A lot of false positives. Excuse me, false positives. I don't want to breed into more conspiracy theories, but I knew a nurse in England, and she is like, she, they, they have the NHS there, right, which is National Health Service. She believes in healthcare. She follows the rules. She wants people to be safe. She's all about it. She's not a conservative. She's not like a conspiracy theorist. She couldn't understand why so many tests were coming back positive when most of these patients that were coming and getting tests were okay. They just were having routine tests, whatever. She was like, 
unlike any other types of tests that she's done, it was just like almost everybody. Right. So then she sent off two of the tests and didn't swipe them on anyone just to see what would happen. And they came back positive as well. And that's when she was like, I don't believe in these things anymore. Like that's, yeah, that's not a good sign. Anyway, I don't want to breed into that conspiracy. Like, I wasn't there. I didn't do it. This is just what someone told me. But this is, like, yeah. the last... She's one of the last people you'd ever think that would that would go on the side of, of like, thinking this stuff. Some of it was bullshit. I mean, she's all in with the healthcare system. Right. It's interesting. It's definitely interesting. And it's it, it definitely raises some eyebrows. I, I'm not saying I'm one way or the other, but when you hear these types of things after the fact, it it it's a little scary. It definitely skewed my mind a little bit after hearing about the BCR test stuff. My concern early on, especially living in Santa Monica at the time when this kicked off, was that, okay, if it's anywhere as bad as they're saying the homeless people are all going to start dying right away. Because, I mean, okay, one, they're outside, so that's less transmission, as we found out in time. But their immune systems are not good, you know? They're not eating well. It's not like they're going to the gym. Like, that's a tough existence, for sure. God bless them. So I assumed if that was the case, there's going to be, like, mass homeless people death. And that wasn't really happening either. I mean, well, it what got me was this Carrie Mullis, Carrie Millis. He died in 2019, but he invented the PCR test. Mm-hmm. And they he was talking about how he was on acid when he figured out how to create it. And there's a documentary about it that we need to watch. Oh, no for shit. Sure. But he was calling out Fauci um, for saying that the PCR test was accurate. And so, yeah, again. So look at this, right? The two doctors, one that invented the PCR test and the other one that invented the mRNA vaccine technology, both called this out in a big way. One of them almost led to Rogan being canceled, though he's hard to cancel. It's like the two guys that made the things that we were supposed to use or rely on said they don't work the way that everyone's telling us that they should work. I don't think it's unreasonable to have doubts about this whole process. Right. That that's just it. The the amount of shaming that has happened for people who you know, were so scared of of getting the shot and didn't get the shot and didn't trust the shot and they were just getting shamed over and over and over. I did it. You know, at first, I was scared. I I I fell into the fear. You know what I mean? I mean, my family, um, you know, we fought. There was a lot of fights within the family for over COVID stuff, and it was ridiculous. And it it sucks that that happened. And I've definitely had a bit of a mind shift since then. But I, I don't know. It's it's. There's nothing wrong with questioning what's happening, and to get shamed for questioning something is really the scary thing. I think that's the point of this: is that moving forward, if this happens again and there's a different pandemic and for people to get shamed and shadow banned on Facebook and, you know, taken off of Instagram platforms, I've got friends who have been taken off for, you know, believing in a certain thing and um, mostly having to do with the vaccine. It seems like 
it really seems like a freedom of speech thing to me. I think that's the importance here is that information is becoming banned. Well, it's almost like we can't make our own minds up anymore. Well, if it doesn't fit a narrative that they want, that's yeah. the scary thing. It's like you have freedom until somebody's telling you that something's a real big deal, and then you've got to, sh- sh- without protest, sh- potentially shut your whole life down. And you're like, wait a second, what? It's... And then, I don't know, man. I, I, I hope that they bring you know, a big investigation into the Fauci thing. And I'm not saying that to, like, catch him and put him in jail, right? I don't want that for anybody. But we should examine all the things that were said and done, all the ties that they have, so that if we face this again, we don't, you know, we can find the problem areas. But brushing it under the rug and letting him just go retire to his beach home without answering any questions, is not helping anybody. Right. Right? It's like, once again, politicians and people that work for the government just get away with whatever. I don't I don't feel like that's right. They work for us. It's not right, buddy. It's not. So, Eddie thinks that a bunch of buildings in the United <laughs> States, and what did he say, San Francisco? Yeah. Were maybe built... In by people that well, I didn't so, even understand what he was saying. Well, he was saying this gentleman, John Levy, has a YouTube channel full of videos of structures all over the world, including the United States, of structures that he claims could not have been made by the people at the time, right? So, like in the 1800s, there's no way we would have had the technology to build these things, and we had, you know. People had seen these structures while they were, you know, on their way out west in wagons, right? Yeah. But somehow that's been erased, and he was adamant about this, man. He's like, make sure you watch it, Joe. Joe just kind of brushed over that. <laughs> I am I need to watch those. I'm, I'm going for it. I mean, I'm curious. But Joe, I bring him up? I think, I think because Joe is so used to the things that Eddie says that he's, like, kind of better at, like, sifting through... When you know you kind of, you kind of have these friends that believe in these sorts of conspiracies, and sometimes shit will catch your attention, and other times you're like, "Oh, I know, just to ignore this one," and that one seemed yeah. a little bit like that. It was it was out of the out of the left typical field. typical realm of conspiracies. That was on like the way out in left field. Yeah, yeah. I don't like. What are we saying? There's a building in the middle of San Francisco, and no one knows how it was built. Surely someone would have been talking about this. Yeah, and what did did you understand what that Tartarian thing is? I didn't remember what no. the t- Tartarian, the evidence of a great mud flood and lots of structures being underground, you know, saying that there was a huge mud flood as, you know, as recently as maybe the 1800s, and that was when everything had been buried. Oh, dear. Don't know. Yeah. I don't know how we wouldn't have that in the history We could books. dig that up, though. I mean, we didn't have computers back then, right? So you could technically get rid of a lot of that evidence, whether it was written down or whatnot, but it just seems so out of the out of the. I'm pretty sure if it world. was only a couple of hundred years ago, you could bury a book in mud and then dig it up again. Or it could be in a little, you know, tin can. I mean, what what are we saying? That there were, like, motorcycles or, like, advanced technology just, like, buried in mud? 
here here's the thing. He he was going all over the board, and and I also wrote down the the whole bricks being used as batteries and and conductors and Turkmekis, Turkmenistan it has insane structures with antennas. I mean, he look. I mean, that's a bit more in- interesting. Yeah. Potentially. And, and I, I mean, uh, and they do say the bricks conduct electricity, but okay, what can you do with that? Can you charge your house up? I don't know. It makes more sense to me that maybe the pyramids were a conductor of energy because of the the type of rock that they used, right? It was a, you know, it could have been used as if it was above these um, aqueducts, like they say it was, like there was water running underneath, mm-hmm. and that that energy was then flowing up through the pyramids and creating, you know, this centrifugal force that was creating free energy. That to me makes more sense from some of the stuff I've seen in ancient aliens and that sort of thing. But I haven't looked into what um, Eddie was saying enough to even really have a, a clear idea of how to even talk about it because it was pretty far out there. I'll tell you what, though. I wouldn't be surprised if there are ways of just kind of gathering electricity, right? So if you think about it, a solar panel is taking it directly from the sun, right? So that's one way we know. It just basically just comes to this box as long as it's sunny. Yeah. But then the Earth itself has a lot of radiating energy. There's like uh, the magnetosphere, you know, that's doing a lot. Uh, I could imagine we could build a machine that, you know, can just kind of pour energy, even if it's like low voltage, just from like how the the earth is, you know, like generating its own energy. I don't know how you would do it, but it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility to do something like that. Well, it also doesn't seem out of the realm. I think about this a lot when it comes to energy. There's a lot of suppressed energy technologies out there, and there's enough money, you know, behind the people who run our energy system and get a lot of billions and billions of dollars from it that they would want to suppress those types of technologies. So it does make sense that it would get hidden. People like Tesla being shunned and... You know, all of his papers and patents were mysteriously taken vanished. by the they t- were taken by the FBI, right? And we haven't seen them since, right? Mm-hmm. So I get that. Like those types of conspiracies make sense to me, but bricks, you know, being energy, <laughs> some sort of energy creators, is a little far fetched. Look, man, you got to have these guys that are you know on the fringes of thinking. I, no, I like to think about this stuff. It's great. I could go on on and on about this stuff with Eddie. Um, I'm looking at Jonathan Levy's Harvard presentation right now about cities of wood. Hmm. We're going to have to look into that. Yeah. We'll, we'll get back to you guys. They did talk a bit about the hypocrisy of environmentalists and especially the rich ones that have, like, private jets. And we, you and I have talked about this somewhat. Um that's you got to think that okay so on the environmental side it's good that people of influence are talking about it mm-hmm. but then they don't live anywhere like it they're just like you guys do it i'll take my private jet right but also you guys recycle your cans yeah there's definitely a lot of hypocrisy there for sure um <laughs> <laughs> i mean 
Yeah. It. But look, I, I don't want to hate on people for flying around in private jets either because, look, you've got a private jet. You're probably, like, if you and I had a private jet, we would fly somewhere with it. Let's be honest. Let's yeah, be but, real. I mean, would we then lecture other people on environmental stuff? Probably like, not. But I would still recycle thinking that I'm doing a, a service to the planet. Oh, so you'd just be a <laughs> hypocrite in your own in your own mind. <laughs> I guess that's just maybe that's human nature. Yeah. You know? Maybe. Just, maybe. It's hard to say. It's almost like if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they've somewhat self-actualized or not quite all the way, but they're like, they don't have any of the bottom tier elements to worry about. They're feeling great about themselves. You know, they're just focusing on giving back and doing for others and helping people and helping the world while also being bowlers. So they get to do all the cool shit that they want with the time that they have. And it it's like, yeah, you almost make a hypocrisy just with that setup. Do you think, let's say you had, I don't know, $50 million, right? Would you buy a plane? Because I feel like I would not. No, it's a, they do it because it's a huge tax write-off. Okay. So you can write it off against your company and take a loss, right? So you can actually make it seem for an entire year that your company, your LLC or whatever corporation you have. Was that a loss? Got it. Yeah. So there's nothing. That's why they buy yachts too. I get it. I don't, yeah, I don't know if you can do it with yachts. You probably can. Oh, you definitely can. Yeah. But then you can get places way quicker. You're like far more efficient with your time. Like, look, flying is a nightmare. And flying right now has been a mess for a good six months. Ticket prices are through the roof. Not that they couldn't afford it, but like flights are getting canceled, shit gets switched around. It's a mess. If you could just get in your plane and go, and you've got meetings that you'll hit on time, that you close a big deal, and you've got 700 employees, and they all get to stay at work having that job because you were able to close the deal on time, it's like... Yeah, that's why they have private jets. Yeah, just plant some more trees, I guess. You know, if you're going to be flying around in your jet, plant some more trees. That actually, I you know, I don't know if that quite works, but that's better than nothing. <laughs> that would be really interesting, <clears throat> excuse me, if, you know, some super rich celebrity was like, right, I got this private jet, and then they put, they have a website with their miles, mm-hmm. and they just like buy land and, plant forests. Yeah, there you and go. And then they also write apology letters like I'm really sorry I flew this many times <laughs> this year, but here's a forest. Good for them. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie is Eddie always brings for Look, you say what you want, but now we're going to check out this what's his name? Jonathan Levy. Jonathan Levy. Yeah, we're yeah. going to have a look. There might be something interesting there. Maybe maybe he didn't explain it that well, but it's always good to have people on Rogan that say wild things. And it's kind of the criticism of Rogan, too. Like, people get annoyed with him because they're like, oh, you shouldn't give this person a platform, or you shouldn't even, you know, suggest that a certain thing could be a conspiracy. And it's like, why? We're just talking. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. It's the freedom of speech, baby. Mm. All right, let's jump over to Sam Morrill. Is it Morrill? Merrill. Merrill. Sam Merrill. I like this guy. He's a 
a very funny comedian. I've seen him, I think I saw him at the Comedy Store back in 2019. Don't quote me on it. Um, there was a time where a bunch of New York comics were coming in, and a lot of them are pretty similar. Um, but he, uh, the stuff I've seen online, he, he's very good. He's a very, very funny guy. And again, like many of the comedians that come on Rogan, especially for the first time, they have such a good attitude. There's like this energy that comes with stand-up that just makes for um, kind of, you know, open, somewhat humble, like, individuals. It was just, it was a free-flowing convo, for sure. Yeah, keep your eye on that guy, for sure. Uh, so Bert Kreischer put a bunch of, what was it, gay porn? In his merch, <laughs> yeah, that's how he knows yeah. Bert. Must have been the first time they were on tour. He maybe Bert was after him. <laughs> that's right? amazing. I love that. Bert's a fucking legend. Poor Sam's just trying to make a little extra dough on the road. He's not making enough money. The free <laughs> the free drinks aren't enough. <laughs> and Bert's fucking putting gay porn in his merch box. Perfect. Uh, Perfect. The I'm big break for Sam was um, a comedy competition that he went in for that gave him a year's worth of road work. And when I heard that, I thought that it's such an unusual prize. I'd never heard of anything like that in comedy, but my God, that's the best thing. For a, for a new comic that's like working his way up, that would be better than like 10 grand. Because oh, 10 grand more than likely a new comic would just go party with. Yeah. But a year on the road, imagine the experience that he got. Well, imagine how much better his comedy got, obviously. Oh, yeah. And he was even saying the way he creates is while he's on the road, he kind of, he, he's like, he has the same mentality as Rogan. He kind of works through things with the crowd, you know, throws something on the wall, see what sticks, kind of make sure the crowd is liking it. If they don't like it, do we go back to it? Do we just take it off the, the bit list? You know, he seems to be creative when he's on the road, and that, that seems to work really well for him. Well, it just does. I mean, it's it can be scary at first because there's a lot of pressure. Like, you're thrown in the mix. You've got all these dates to perform. I mean, you know, if you're just an open micer, you can take time off whenever you want. You can quit whenever you want. You can take – you can not write whenever you want. But if you're forced into, like, okay, I'm headlining – or opening up for others on all these dates, like you, you can't get away from it. You have to get after yeah, it. Yeah, and you have, you're find a way then. I mean, I think you'd have to be really unfunny mm-hmm. to not be able to improve drastically from that. Well, and think about the... He clearly likes to drink. He was talking about drinking quite a bit. You who know, doesn't? Who doesn't? But... I'm sure he comes up with a lot of his stand-up while on the road, like when he's not on stage, too. They're talking about how, you know, you don't really talk about how amazing a roller coaster was, right? The roller coaster ride was, like, really cool when it happened, but afterwards you're not, like, telling all your buddies, like, dude, that roller coaster ride was so sick. Yeah. Really, it's like, no, I got hammered and I fell on my face and broke my teeth out, and then, you know, we went to this bar and ended up back at the hotel, couldn't get in, you know. There's those types of stories are what ends up on stage. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like <laughs> Steve Ranella's way of understanding, yeah. you know, happiness. I mean, take, for example, it, 
the a hunting trip I just went on, and I come back with your brother-in-law, and we get charged by a mountain lion. It, that's fucking terrifying. In the moment, zero fun. Believe me. Yeah. Just panic and adrenaline. But afterwards, the, there's not only a massive relief that you weren't mauled to death, but the like just the story mm. itself. You know, thinking back on it, like yeah, the, you, you telling me you saw the eyes from a distance. Oh, just dude. those those green eyes because cats don't have the same color eyes as deer or elk <laughs> or bear. They're brighter, right? They're way brighter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well they were they I think they were more yellow. Yellow, okay. Yeah, but they were bright. They I mean they were the super reflective. And that was what was weird. Because I've seen deer before, like when you drive up on them, yeah. you see those eyes and well, they're, they're kind of like red. Yeah, and they're beady, right? I mean, I would imagine a cat's eyes are way bigger. I'm sure you could tell the difference in size, couldn't you? No, it was the way on the other end of a field. Okay. So it was like it was like this open plain, and it was probably like 100 yards away, but the color was strange. Yeah. You know, I just remember how bright it was, really reflective. And I'm like, huh. But then just the way it was moving and as its head got bigger, I mean, look, the whole thing, crazy. Crazy. And you said you said you had you had you were ready to shoot at this thing, but then it ran off. I mean, no, not really. Well, I mean, you were thinking about it, weren't you? Yeah, I pulled my gun out yeah. and cocked it and yeah. pointed it. But are you ready? No, I hadn't even fired this gun before. Yeah, ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous. <sighs> the whole thing. There's no way I would have hit it. No, no way. It no. could. It was coming so fast. There was no plan, and then it just darts off to the right, and as it jumped through some bushes and some things, it sounded like, I mean, it kind of landed like a horse lands, like, I mean, that's heavy. Yeah. Heavy, dude. Huge pause, too, I'm sure. I... Oof, that's scary. Well, we, yeah. I'm glad you made it out, buddy. Yeah, horrifying stuff. And, you, and you're still stoked to go hunting, so there you go. You got to keep going. That's right. You got to get things. So all what, those Comanche stories were f- fucking yes. crazy. Yeah, I wrote that down. Mm. The the Comanches basically guarding the Southwest and and the border down there, and what figuring out how to ride on horses and shoot arrows from horses. I didn't realize those were the first types of Native Americans to be doing that successfully. Dude, that's right? it, when I was out hunting that whole day. All I thought about is like how hard it's lit it is to live in these conditions like all day i i know that i get to come back to regular life sleep in a bed have some food take a shower yeah while you're out there you're like this was it for a lot of people 200 years ago 150 years ago and with way shittier arrows too oh yeah yeah <laughs> talking like arrowheads that they had to make out of rock for sure and then battling with each other through areas. I mean, what what do you know about the Native American history in Montana? I mean, I know there's the Blackfeet and there's, you know, there's several tribes in Montana. And the Blackfeet, I know, were the most brutal. Really? As, as far as, I mean, I don't think they were as brutal as the Comanche. But from what I've heard... Um, they didn't fuck around, dude. Yeah, they and, were, and they were the notoriously is, cruel. It's almost like... <laughs> 
there, there's like a romanticism of life before the white man came here and brutalized them, which we did. We, you know, say we, like my ancestors, yours, you know, they came here, they took their land, they killed a lot of them. That's what, how they did it. And then a bunch of them died as smallpox. But it wasn't like it was peace on earth before we got here. Like they were warring against each other constantly. Yeah, I just wish it would have gone a different route. I I wish we could have, you know, came together peacefully, which I don't know if that was possible. I have no idea. I wasn't there. Obviously, that's better. Obviously, that's better. But to think about... We might have to tell them, hey, can you stop chopping off people's arms and legs and throwing them in the fire? But, but I think that's obviously a stereotype of, of some natives like the Comanche who were obviously more brutal than others. I'm sure plenty were friendly and, you know, accommodating. But I would say that the the thing that I think about when I think of this planet or this earth, excuse me, the Turtle Island, they call it, uh, in native tongue, um, Turtle Island being North America, I would just love if the white man had more respect for the land because I think that that's something that really was lost once we kind of conquered this area as unfortunate as it was and all the brutality that happened we we never seem to understand that the wor- that the earth works with us not you know we don't control it but we seem to still to this day want to control everything and and we don't realize that mother earth is really our kind of our savior really in my mind yeah no i get what you're saying I mean, the, the the power of progress, though, is so... One, it's it makes so much money for the people in it that they're like, okay, well, we have to build a road from here to this other town, and then all the trade is there, so let's get this road going. They're often not thinking, well, what's the impact of this road on all these other things? Right. Well, especially back then, they weren't thinking about it that way. But I yeah. mean, th- well, because our impact back then wasn't as negative. Right. Now we're so much bigger that we're just clearing out all these areas. But it's almost like the machine is in motion now. We have whole economies to keep together. We got 7 billion people to keep alive. I also think there needs to be some um, reciprocity, though, with with the natives. I mean, the saying, acknowledging what we did, I feel like it's just like, oh, it wasn't us. It was our ancestors. But we're still connected to our ancestors. Oh, no, no, 100%, right? dude. You know? I agree with that. I agree with, like, basically we should just look at any types of communities that struggle, like inner city kids. There are, you know, a lot of the same ethnicity and background. Native communities on reservations struggle horribly. They, they have a rough time. Like, there's a lot of addiction in those areas, and and they don't have good schools, and they don't have good access to things. They're like, health care and so on. Like, it's a real struggle. And that, I don't think that that is, you know, something that we should just ignore. Even now. Absolutely not. We should find a way, like, to be like, hey, let's help you guys out. And we should be helping out the whales, too. The walrus, the 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 walrus, the walrus, the walrus whisperer. Mm. Well, that was a good point that Joe brought up. 
because he was talking about like generally haters, people that upset you in your life. If you want to sit there and just fantasize about how you want to destroy them, that's a waste of time. Absolutely. But he gave the example of there's there's potentially good hate in a weird way. It sounds like an oxymoron, but I think it's true. I liked what he said. I'd never heard or thought of an example like that, but there is. This is like a freedom fighter. It's like if there is an invading force or just some institution that you know is truly bad, right? Yeah. And and you've examined it from as, as many angles as you can. We're not talking about protesting Dave Chappelle for Netflix. Like, that's not the hill you should die on, believe me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, something that is, like, inherently wrong that has been overlooked. Yeah, Nazis. Ex- great point. It's always yeah. easy to go back to them. But, yeah, like, like go and, like... Have some hatred towards them. Yeah. But But also... There's only so much you can do, and and I think his point was stop wasting your time on so much hatred for material stuff, like stuff that doesn't really matter. And material meaning like some, you know, being pissed off at some guy like cutting you off on the on the highway, you know, or well, that's not really or, material. Sorry, sorry, not material. Um, uh, what would that mean? Just uh, just nonsense and bullshit. Yeah, just. Shit that, that doesn't, doesn't really matter. like Shit tomorrow you can't do anything. Yeah. And imagine if you had infinite power and you let that stuff get to you. What are you gonna kill every heckler that ever heckled you, every person that ever bullied you, every person that ever ripped you off? I mean, by the time you get to the end of the, your life, you know, your death count's gonna be at like fifty. It's not gonna make you feel any better. You know? Yeah, but don't I, get me wrong. I've got mad too. I've don't you? Mad don't you think it? Times. It has a lot to do with who you surround yourself with too. I mean, you you. There's plenty of people if they're complaining and upset and always bitching and moaning. It kind of you kind of go snoop down to that level, right? Mm. It's almost like if you're hanging out with that negativity, it's just going to keep. Brewing. Well, that's kind of how they ended the podcast because yeah. they were watching a video of Rogan talking right. on another Rogan about, about nar- narcissists. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And just what they are, you know, narcissistic disorders and what it means to face it. I mean, narcissism is such a weird thing. And when you encounter it in a person, it's so damaging. It's. Well, and he was pointing out that a lot of comics have that mentality, right? That kind of narcissistic view and Yeah, when they some of them when they get big enough or full of themselves, I mean I, I think it's easy to do when you get success to get really full of yourself or you start doing well at things and then, you know, you start to think that you're better than other people. Kind of it's almost like the perception people have of very rich people, that same sort of thing. But uh, I think it's still rare. I don't think that there's a large percentage of those types of people. If you talk to most people, they're not like that. They don't. They don't go into that trap. It's I. I don't know if you need to be born like that or have a lot of trauma, but it, you don't see it that often. But you certainly should try and stay away from it. In, what was that, incel narcissism? Mm. I'm going to look that up. That yeah, was the one they up. kept talking about. I don't know. 
I don't know what that means. All right, so incel means celibate, and it says it's usually a man. So a member of an online community of young men who consider themselves unable to attract women sexually, typically associated with views that are hostile towards women and men who are sexually active. So basically, someone who's celibate who's also a narcissist. Stay away from those people. Mm. (laughs) I I don't know, man. Yeah, they're hard to spot. It's a mess. It's a mess. Anyway, let's jump over to Gordon Ryan and Mo Jazim. And obviously, Gordon Ryan is an absolute legend, completely unstoppable. Mo was doing the AD, ADC, uh, a- ADCC. Yeah. So he's putting that together. Good for him. I mean, that's such a great organization. We got to get more people watching that and into it. I wish people were and it got big. You know, they should just see if they can get Joe Rogan to do the commentary for it all. I mean, it, it sounds at least like the big ones. Sounds like his last one. They had an incredible turnout that they weren't really expecting. He said he sold ten thousand tickets in a matter of like forty five minutes or mm-hmm. a day or something. Well, Golden Ryan certainly helps because he's just a phenom. Like he's completely unstoppable. Yeah. I mean, he had to give that one guy ten to one odds to fight him, and he still won't fight him. Like no, what? Scared. What do you need to do? Like after that, what hundred to one? Like what? What do you do after that? Yeah, I th- I think it's funny how. I mean, I have a bit of a different perspective, not coming from the MMA or jujitsu world, but obviously the guy's a legend. He's won sixty fights in the last what, however many, since he started, right? Sixty fights, mm-hmm. or n- not since he started, but the last sixty he's won. Yeah. He's lost a few. How many has he lost? Not not many. Yeah. And not recently. But to hear like to hear his buddy talk about him in the third person while he's sitting there was a was a little bit strange to me. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? Yeah. I'm like, dude, are you scared of this guy too? Um He's something special, man. I mean, look, he he's a shit talker. It works for him and he understands the mentality that he needs to be in to also win those fights. I mean, there is a huge factor there, obviously. I mean, and he's training seven days a week. He's yeah, an animal. Savage. That's thanks to John Danaher, his trainer, who lives a weird life, doesn't buy pots and pans for his house and barely knows what Wi-Fi is, but he trains, I mean, people all the time, seven days a week. I mean, savage. But think about that. You watch somebody, you want to be the best at something, and then you watch this trainer that doesn't get a lot out of all of it other than recognition for being the best, you know, coach. And he just is obsessed. And there's like levels to discipline with things. It's it's impressive to hear. I couldn't imagine training every day jujitsu. Well, and yeah, I mean, you'd be so sore all the time. I guess if you just work through that every day, you just get used to it. You get a lot of injuries. Yeah. That's going to happen. I mean, Gordon was talking about not being able to, what, raise his hand over his head or something? Yeah. Well, and he was saying he couldn't sit down with his back straight. Or he's always hunched over. Yeah. Because it just hurts too bad to, to sit up straight. But that's that's just like super high-level elite jiu-jitsu, right? So don't get put off if you don't train and you want to, thinking, oh, I'm going to get those sorts of injuries. You're not going to, Okay. Well, and look, he's clearly an outlier. I mean, 
we Joe talks about the book Outliers. If you guys haven't read it by Malcolm Gladwell, I thought it was an amazing book. Yeah, it's really it's good. a really good book. Um, but he's clearly not only is he training seven days a week, but he's building his own brand. He's understanding that there's way more to himself as a as a brand. He's he's creating his own brand, personal brand. Right? It's yeah. him. His videos are fantastic. If anyone out there is wanting to get into jujitsu, but either you don't have a school close to you, or you're maybe you can't afford it, or you're intimidated by your school, if you can get someone to train with that's going to be committed like you, and you get these videos, it won't be the same as going to a school, believe me. But they are very good at breaking things down, and if you can watch them and pay attention to them and really kind of study it, if you see it like a class that you have to pass with a grade in, you could get quite a lot out of it, you know? Or it could have at least be a solid base for you to get the confidence you need to go to jiu-jitsu. Hell yeah. That's great. Seems like a good starting point. Hell yeah. Well, So what was this sickness that he had, that he was he was sick all the time, you know, he did three weeks of fasting to get try and get rid of it. He was taking, he was eating radioactive eggs. <laughs> <laughs> he has some sort of stomach problem that doesn't allow him to digest food well. And for him to stay as big as he needs and physically active, it's been really difficult for him. I mean, he said on the last Rogan he was on, he couldn't even think. He just was trying not to throw up the whole time. Yeah, saying that baseline for him was the worst hangover you've ever had. Unreal. And still achieving what he's... Like, imagine how well he's going to do now that he has that under control. Yeah. And he was already unstoppable. But imagine being sick all the time in your stomach and having to compete. So what what was it that he figured out to get rid of that? Well, he's seen a bunch of different nutritionists, and they've just worked with him with... uh, different nutrients and eating styles and yeah that kind of stuff. It's been a lot of trial and error, I think. Yeah, it sounds like he went to so many doctors that just had no clue. He was obviously frustrated with his um with with the amount of doctors he saw that really didn't know what to do about it. It it makes sense though. It's it's one of those types of things where they're like, "Uh, we don't know what pills to prescribe you, so we yeah. can't help." Right. It's not like they're they're nutritionists as well as doctors, you know. I guess you go to, like, allergy doctors, but I'm even suspicious of that kind of thing. I'm like, how do they really know? I just couldn't believe after three weeks of fasting that that wouldn't help, right? Like, even that didn't help. No. It's crazy. Well, luckily, he's dedicated to what he does. He had to find a solution. It's not like he could just sit on the couch and get fat. He had things to do tournaments to win, people to beat. He had to find a solution to this. And he's super disciplined because of all his jiu-jitsu. Yeah. So he could just apply that to all these different eating processes. I mean, I'm not surprised that he find a way, found a way out of it. What is this book that he said he... He, he said that he wrote a book, but he, I don't think he mentioned the name of the book. I know he's doing those tapes you talked about and doing the training tapes and... Um, but he, he also talked about building a, a, a brand book. He, Do you remember he that? He wrote a book? That's what he said, man. I'll look it up. 
Yeah, see if you can look it up. Book. I'm looking right now. Um, Gordon Ryan's Spirit of Union. No, that can't be it. Maybe he's still working on it. Yeah, he doesn't have a book yet, but there's some other. Um, oh, here we go. Gordon Ryan announces book about his mindset and secrets to success. This was three weeks ago, mm. August 20th. So he probably hasn't got close to finishing that yet. Yeah, it says he's still writing it with the help of a ghostwriter. So, yeah, we'll let you guys know when that comes out. Yeah, I'd like to read that. That sounds interesting. It's cool that he's making a ton of money from those videos, though, because jujitsu guys generally haven't um, been able to do that. And, I mean, he's – what did Gordon say? He could do, like, a weekend set of videos or a seminar, just sell it online and make, like, a million dollars. Good. That's a lot. Good for him. Yeah. I wonder if he's like the richest um, jujitsu guy. Though saying that, it may be Eddie Bravo because of all his 10th Planet st- schools. Hmm. Dude, he has like 150 schools, I think. I feel like Gordon, he, you can just tell that he's messing with people and he knows that he's being a shithead, but he kind of just laughs it off. Oh, yeah, he loves it. That's what I like about him. It's like people are giving him so much shit. But he's really he's he's owning the shit. He's like, yeah, I do this because it works. He's and not, also he beats everyone, right? I mean, there's some ego there. There has to be. You can't. No, he's just that good. It's like prove it. So what do you got? Yeah. Who do you want me to beat? Look, How do you want me to beat him? And look, people don't like people who always win. So there's always going to be haters. And he talked about that about how it doesn't matter what. People are going to say they're always going to talk shit no matter what you say. Mm -hmm. So you might as well be on top of it and just be hard back. Yeah. Savage. Talking about hard. Rogan got um, Gordon into uh, cold plunges. And Gordon hates him. I mean, who doesn't starting out? But I think Gordon really didn't like him. You know, he's probably because of his, his... you know, stomach issue. Like, he's in enough discomfort. Why would he add more? So when he texts Rogan and Rogan gave him some shit, yeah, he was like, (laughs) don't be a pussy. But but what I love about it is Rogan had his daughter's friends over at his house, and he was like, all right, you stay in for a minute, you get a thousand bucks. Yeah. Like, that's a ridiculous thing. But also, he knew how difficult it was. Yeah. And it was like, good luck, get in there. What was the temp at? Oh, dude, he has he, he one has of those, a, like, right at freezing. Yeah, like 38 degrees Fahrenheit. Probably 35. Yeah. A couple of degrees over, like, completely frozen. Ooh. That's a rough minute, man. Good yeah. for them. Yeah. Also, $1,000, is it? I wonder if Rogan, like, tried out different dollar amounts starting at 100 and he's like, nah, no one could stay. But like a thousand is like a sweet spot. I feel like anyone would do that for a thousand bucks. I'd do it. Absolutely. Not I'd do everyone it. could though. I mean, it's it's almost like if you're not breathing right, if you're not yeah. really just trying to calm yourself down, I mean you, you let your central nervous system take over, it's gonna get you out. It's gonna make you panic so much you might not. That's true. When you start. That's for true. Sure. But you know they're hitting the sauna up right after that. Hmm. But do you think, like, 12-year-old kids are thinking of that? They're not. No. They're just trying to survive. Yeah, true. Good for them. They made it. And he also said 
$2,000 for two minutes and nobody made that. So it doesn't work all the time. <laughs> it's not enough always. But I think that's awesome. That's a really cool thing. And, you know, more cold plunging, man. Like, we've already got sauna on the docket, right? Dr. Rhonda Patrick has talked about this for a long time. Most Rogan listeners are, you know, understanding sauna and they're doing it. A lot mm -hmm. of other people are too. It's like getting well known. I think the cold plunge is the new thing that people don't know enough about. And I love that it's getting pushed. I love it too. We're going to get one. Let's get one. We've got a... Uh trough for the horses that <laughs> that's what we need yeah i'm not yeah. saying expense we can't afford an expensive one let's right. get a let's just get a hole in the ground and pour ice in it <laughs> anyway so, when, when's, so when's his next fight i don't well it's gonna be at the um tournament the, the, the abu dhabi yeah 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 well the 80 cc is, is where it's gonna be and he's right. fighting that same guy with the same bet supposedly so we're gonna see maybe we'll pull it up at the studio and we'll watch it here and see who he does but Gordon's gonna crush it I mean if his stomach is better I mean I can't imagine how much kind of mental space that's freed up probably a lot anyway that is it for this week thank you as always for listening putting up with us we love you guys and tune in next week for more Rogan news info reviews and the rest of it cheers Todd alright buddy peace out peace <laughs> out